welcome to the Momgasm podcast. Blending motherhood, self-connection, sensuality, and pleasure. Normalizing what it means to be a mother and a sexual being. This week, we had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the incredible Kat Nance from Guelph, Ontario. Kat is a somatic sex and relationship coach, and she's also a queer, disabled mama deeply committed to supporting folks in coming home to their bodies and their capacity to heal and experience deeper, more expansive pleasure. We got into some incredible conversations around what the heck is a somatic sex coach, how she got into this wild journey of what it is she's doing now, threw me back to the crazy wild days of growing up in the medical community and system, which is a wide world that that is deeply lacking consent, and how BDSM and kink has actually the potential to heal some wild, wonderful wounds. We wrapped up the conversation talking all things sex-positive parenting, and this one has so many nuggets of wisdom. Oh my God, get out your notebook, because this one's juicy. Virtually meet you both. It's very exciting. It's also like very rare that we uh, have someone wander into our inbox and then so quickly are like, yeah, let's, we know fuck all about anything. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this could be extra interesting as far as like what comes out of this conversation. That being said, I have been yeah. like creeping you actively for the last. Yeah, I saw week. that. <laughs> Oh, you saw me just like aggressively <laughs> liking all of your things. Yeah. To be fair, I did the same. Okay. It's <laughs> like, I've been caught. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been like aggressively creeping and and like the more that I I sent I sent you a message. I think last night, Sarah, where I was like, I'm so excited to talk to Kat now that I'm actually digging into her stuff. Yeah, I think I was in the middle of watching RuPaul and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, RuPaul, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But I did get a chance to look at your website today and you are doing a lot of interesting things. A lot of interesting things. Thank you. One of them being... And this is something that I, I need you, possibly Lindsay, to educate me on, um, is what is exactly somatic? Are we, well, okay, are we going to go like right into that now? Or? Well, the, yeah, this is, or yeah. Do, or do we want to like... Absolutely. Before, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's give a little context. That to, like, could lead into it. The eagerness of like... But what I'm wondering is, what is the somatic sex, sex coaching all about? And I guess that kind of leads into, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. And, um, about what you do. And yeah, yeah it, the website was really, really interesting to me. We are intrigued. Yeah. Delightfully so. <laughs> that is the goal. Uh, first, I have to say the sock because it comes up in the podcast. So great. <laughs> <laughs> Now you're getting the visual. Yeah. I was like, what does this sock look like? 
and it's a fuzzy wool sock it looks like which is really great um our condom sock is the the condom sock lives on it's the mascot yeah yes i think it's the mascot although it might be getting retired very soon no, this will live on as like just our like. Statue. Oh, it'll just we'll just like keep it in the background <laughs> yeah, yeah. forever. Yeah. Just pin it to the wall. Give it a name. We could name it. Put some googly eyes on this bitch. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, as you were saying. Okay, so uh, somatic means in the body. So the somatic approach means. I mean, for me, there's there's like very specific definitions that you can look up, but for me, the somatic approach means that. I'm honoring that the body is a very wise mechanism and that for me, I have found the most healing in myself. And I see for other people that when we start collaborating with our body and coming back there and checking in, like this isn't, our body isn't trying to hurt us or trying to make us feel anxious. But when we start collaborating with, with, the, with the wisdom that it's sharing, then we start getting more answers. And the thing about somatic that I really like, especially if we're talking about trauma, and you all cover that quite often in your, your show, um, is that we don't actually have to tell the story because the, re- the retelling of the story with our words can sometimes be re-traumatizing. Oh, yeah. and, and I remember you saying, and I really relate to this, that um, I'm very good at telling my story and I am not in my body when I tell it. And I, I can... I can fake vulnerability like nobody's business I can make it look you know and people be like wow you just shared a lot with me and I didn't because it's just it's mechanical but if you ask me to go in my body and tell that story then there's some vulnerability showing up because there's a lot you know living there that hasn't had the time that I haven't listened to lots that I have listened to but you know when we really start listening to what's the body actually telling me what's the story that the body has to share then one we can find a like a reprieve from this like, you know, verbal telling of everything that sort of disconnects us from our body. And, and then we can actually have some more fun in our healing. So Mm -hmm. whether that's play or pleasure, or the exploration of both of those, you know, now we can start exploring different routes. So the somatic approach is less about going from point A to B, which is what I do in my storytelling and what, what many of us do in our storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's more about beginning, middle, end story. Yeah. And it's so prescriptive, right? Like we get so good at it. We were so good at telling our stories. And instead it's it's like, well, what if we just went this way? Mm. Or, oh, let's go over here. So then all of a sudden we start creating a new pathway, a new, a new way to explore. Mm-hmm. And it and in that, we're leading with curiosity. Mm. so it's just like that's all great information whatever we bump up against maybe it's like maybe that wasn't the way this person needed to go mm-hmm. but it's like it's all good information so then we're just playing with with the curiosity of our body which is that our bodies are very curious right mm. and so um that's what somatic is for me is just like allowing ourselves to lead with our body and lead with curiosity and mm. And ultimately coming back and landing in our bodies and, and rebuilding a, a trusting relationship because we do a lot of time, we spend a lot of time um, betraying ourselves, right? Yep. And a lot of time just up here and also like yeah. out out there, but out there not in necessarily um, a healthier, constructive way because you can absolutely sit down and take in a scene and have that mm. be incredibly healing and actually help you reconnect to your body. Yeah. Um by sitting and watching and being, well, how do I feel in this? How does, what is, what is this doing in, in my body? How am I responding to this in my body? But then we also have all of this excess stimulation 
all of the time that's just, I don't want to say useless information, but kind of, kind of useless too much. to us. <laughs> yeah, too much, inf- too much influx of information that is overstimulating that then vastly disconnects us from um, the experience of being in our body and enjoying that time of being in our body mm-hmm. and playing in our body. Yeah. And so many of us have such sensitive nervous systems, right? And so like this, like bombardment of, of information and stimuli, like no matter what it is in our day, having an opportunity to like slow down and be in our bodies Mm. is, you know, there's a lot of information that we can pick up on in that. And sometimes it's not safe to be in the body. Yeah. Sometimes it's not safe to feel pleasure in the body. Mm. So for a lot of people that I work with trying to go into pleasure, that's like, you know, when I first started this work, I'm like, yeah, more pleasure for people. I can get them there. And I was like, oh, fuck cat. Like what were <laughs> like, that's not the approach for a lot of people. If you want more pleasure, it's like, first you have to, you know, what you're talking about, like is orientating yourself to the space, finding something that feels comforting and safe and pleasant yeah. outside your mm-hmm. body before we can actually come be in our body. Mm-hmm. Because if I want to build my capacity to experience like the the blooming, uh, you know, sensations in my body that sort of erupt, then I, I have to do that in a way that I'm, I'm, I'm not enduring. Yeah. We we endure enough. Right. So I can't do more enduring in my body if I want to get to a point of feeling pleasure. Yeah. So just a bit of time here and then back out there. Yeah. That feels, that feels like kind of similar to my, approach or kind of the the conversation and discussions around like creating um your den and your safe space in your bedroom and I mean specifically for me talking about and reflecting back to me creating like my birth den with having birthed at home like the my number one priority was if I'm going to have this experience where I'm 100% in my body connected to my body um and interested and curious about the process instead of trying to control the process I need to make sure that my space is something that feels 100% safe for me. And it's something that I've put love and care into and and that I can look at any of these totems or things or pieces that I've put in my room that can like do that for me and be like, oh, I'm okay, I'm here. Or those individuals and people that I had placed in the space too, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question. What led you to becoming a somatic sex coach? Because this sounds fucking amazing. (laughs) But how did you get to this point? That is such a good question. And I feel like anybody doing this kind of work can relate very heavily that there is a lot of influencers. But um, when uh, this is going to be one of those stories that I don't sit in my body for, but I'm going to tell it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Give it to me. (laughs) But you can watch me. Watch how I'm not in my body for it. Um, when I was, uh, four, I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy and my, um, so mostly what brought me to this is, is, is a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was, my, my mom is gay. And so she raised us with another woman. And when I was seven, that woman passed away. And so that was a very big upheaval in our life. And it, um, and then, so I was, I was meant to have surgeries at a younger age and then it got pushed back. So when I was 10, from when I was 10 until I was 16, I had 17 major surgeries. And so I spent most of my childhood in, in the hospital. And, and I mean, have you, I feel like, I feel like one of you has experience with, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And so the medical system's fucked. Fucked. So fucked. Call it what it is. Like, honestly, <gasps> do we want to talk about consent? Like, holy fuck. Do they need right? <laughs> Oh yeah. In a hospital. Oh yeah. Fuck. Jesus. No. No. I, I can't believe like the, yeah, so much medical trauma and yeah, I think it's so fascinating because there's very small things that could have happened that would have drastically shifted. Like even just a check in, like even just a treating me, like I was a human being like, Hey, you know, maybe you have feelings about what's happening to your body, or maybe we could give you all the information or, or maybe we could ask before we touched your body. The first time I ever had a medical practitioner ask to touch my body was my fucking midwife. What? Whoa. That was the first time. And I like wept in the office and I was like, whoa, like asked and waited, oh. Didn't, like, reach in and touch, like waited and like, like full consent. Like if I said no, it was a no. Oh, it, like, I was like, whoa. Oh man. Now I'm like, I'm in my body now. This is bringing up real shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's the, the thing, like for me, it's, it's wild. Like in you saying this, because it's like bringing up all of the feelings that I had as a kid that I didn't know how to voice the yeah. amount of times that the consent was from my parents, not me. Yeah. So it's like, can we touch her? Can we do this to her? And it was never, am I okay with this? And I think a lot of that is because I, I started so young, like day three was when I had my first surgery. And so it's like, well, you can't ask a baby. Well, you can actually, this you can, is the other actually thing. You, can. The thing. You, you can, you can actually, but nobody thinks to even do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's the, it's, I think it's just so ingrained to ask consent from the guardian instead of the individual who is experiencing these things. So I'm like, Whoa, fuck, you're bringing me back. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, I feel you. <laughs> oh, it's heavy and it's complicated and it's so complex. And like, yeah, I, I think it's so fascinating to me because we have such little understanding of trauma and, and the medical Institute is not trauma informed and they're oh. very like, like running on survival. Like mm. let's just do the things that have to happen and not check in with the bodies because like, we want to make sure you live. We, we care less about like you know, whether they're not that they care less. It's just like, no. that is not on their radar. It's not, yeah. It's not priority. It, number one, priority. Number one is yeah. keep you alive, patch you back up, put you together. And then somebody else will worry about the rest later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's more it's, damage control. Yes, exactly. And it's not, it's not their training. It's no. not part of their indoctrination, like to learn about how trauma impacts the body. And mm. even as a young child, and Peter Levine talks about this, like trauma happens when there, when, when a really intense thing happens to us is not witnessed when, mm. when there's, there's a lack of witnessing, a lack of honoring. And so in that moment, like as a three day old baby, yeah, absolutely. Just to spend a moment and be like, you know, something big is going to happen in a few moments mm. and you know, it, it has to happen, but like we get that that's going to, you know, we still need communication. We still understand tone. Mm. We still under understand the movement of somebody's body. If I'm moving quickly near your body, what's that telling your nervous system? Yeah. yeah, because that's the first part of your nervous system that comes online. That's our yeah. primal body. It, like it responds to quick motion. It responds to harsh words or, or like monotone voices. Like mm. the body knows what a threat is coming out of the womb, in the womb. It knows what a threat yeah. sounds like. Mm. But the ventral, if we can bring on like the, the ability to connect, like if a doctor or a nurse takes one moment, like one brief moment just to be with your body and like really mm. get how like tender and, and vulnerable we are, like that's all it takes, like uh -huh. a, moment, a moment. And so 
Yeah, I think I'll, where was I? With? Oh yeah, I was telling, why do I do this work? <laughs> Sorry, I totally, like, I totally like derailed us for a minute there. I think I did. It was just like, let's get into some like stuff here. Jesus. Uh, but when I was, um, yeah, there's like a, a lot of stuff there, but my, I grew up in Hamilton and, and my mom moved us to Waterloo and she was really struggling with alcoholism at the time. And I had just had my last surgery and I wasn't in school and I was getting a lot of, very sad, dark, ominous advice, like the um, information from my caregivers and my doctors saying like, here's what your life is going to look like. You know, you will be in a wheelchair. You will just be in pain your whole life. And all we can do is manage it. And I remember having this moment, like, fuck that. Like, you don't get to tell me what my life is going to be. Like, I, I do not agree with that. I do not believe that. That is not the truth about me. Mm. And so I started like, I started meditating and I started doing yoga and I started just like really being with the pain in my body and trying to see like, what is it telling me here? And, and also it's just started occurring to me that if my body can experience this much discomfort, this much pain, you know, this much agony, like I can also experience that in pleasure. Mm. If I have access to that in pain, I also have access to pleasure in my body. So what if I start healing through pleasure? What if I start exploring what feels good in my body? And that is when things first started sparking for me. Like, what if we took an approach that like pleasure heals and that healing doesn't always have to be so, so much work. And it is a lot of the time, but not always, doesn't always have to be. So that was my first like spark into that. And, and I think like many of us who grew up in homes where, you know, there was abuse because our parents came from that and addiction and and in trauma and all of these things, you get really good at reading bodies and you get really good at reading cues. And, and I, you know, I think more than anything, I am an expert in reading body language is yeah, that makes sense. That's like very smart skill for me to develop as a child. And, um, yeah, and being with really heavy stuff. And so I think like as a coach, like my, my role is to be able to hold whatever big thing comes into my room and not be shocked by it. And I was talking about this with a friend the other day. If I go into a therapist, I, I have like a serious lack of trust for most therapists. I feel like you're qualified, but you're not qualified, you know? And <laughs> I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that on the no, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's out there now. Everybody knows. <laughs> Can't put that back in the box, cat. <laughs> edit that out no <laughs> no they're all there which one of us doesn't you trust um <laughs> and this is why it's totally like my own lens and it's not you know you know but the for me it's like if I go in and you know a big part of my my disability and having all those surgeries was like the way I survived it was performance so I got really good at performing in ways like I would, I would have a cast on my leg and I would go rock climbing and be the only person in my class to make it to the top. Or I would push myself in my wheelchair to school, or I would invite my friends over to pull the pins out of my feet, like just things to really like sh- shock people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there, that's the exhibitionist in me. And that exhibition is developed as like a, a, a mechanism to be like, I've got this, you know? Wow. And so if I go into a therapy office and like a therapist or a counselor is like shocked by like my story, I'm like, now this, like that performer comes in and I'm like, Oh yeah. And then I feel like I have too much, too much like power in there. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I, I want to feel like 
I want to walk in there and you not really like respond, like acknowledge it. Cause it's big. It's like, wow, that's big. But like, I've had them where they're, I've, I've had therapists where they're like shocked, like, like startled or something. And I'm like, that's not, I don't want that. No, I want to no. feel like I, I want to feel like when I go to try to perform that, you're not playing that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not you know what I mean? Let me get away with that. See what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Catch it. Like, yeah. You're like speaking to so much of like my life existence and like defense mechanisms and like fucking so much mirroring to you having a moment right now I it's like it's really it's really strange um to be hearing something although different but so similar in so many ways um from somebody else like it's really it's really interesting and it's a lot of things that like I haven't not that I haven't been thinking about them but haven't like given much thought to all of the interesting ways in which I learned to cope or function or, or the exact process that, and decision-making that has brought me to the things that I'm doing now. And it's really, yeah, it's really fascinating to me to kind of be on the other side and hear a story of somebody who's been in the medical system and been in that situation of, of trauma and, and like, it's wild. It's wild. Like, I'm, I'm like, I don't have words. What, what if we, you broke me. You broke me. You're, I love your facial expression. Fuck. <laughs> Glad. I know. I wish everybody could see them. I know. We do. So like, much great animation. Fuck. It's, it's, yeah. yeah like, it's, and it's so funny because I, in reading your, bio and, and going through your stuff and being on your website, that was like one of the things when I was reading about your surgery is I was like, whoa, whoa, cool. Not cool, but also cool. Yeah. Um, because I, I immediately was like, I feel like we could talk about a thousand years of things um, just in, in that. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because it's in you saying like you had that moment of being there and having them tell you like these are all the things this is what your life is going to be like this is what your life is going to be like this is all the restrictions that your life is going to have and it's like that definitive moment where you're like fuck you like mm-hmm. f- fuck you. you yeah you don't know my body you know what's in your textbook you you don't know what I can fucking do you don't know what I can do for this and I've like I vividly remember like that exact moment wow for me where I was like fuck you. I'm going to have babies and you can't tell me that I can't have babies. And I'm, I'm going to shift my story from, I can't to, well, let's see what I can do instead. So I'm just having a weird life, life reflection moment over here. Thanks to you. Yeah. Yeah. Your story was pretty powerful. There were some things in there myself. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. All right. Making me think about things in my own past about body language and so yeah just within what this has been like 20 minutes um we're both you are having a moment broke me uh yeah so i think this interview is done we're gonna go cry in the corner (laughs) except for i don't even want to cry like i'm not even i'm not upset about it in any way like i'm it's it's that moment of like holy shit i feel seen Mm -hmm. right do you know what i mean like it's that 
whoa. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's not that I've never met people who've had um, a similar experiences of being in the medical system at such a young age or going through um, similar processes, but I've, it's been rare for me to meet people who have had similar experiences and then gone on to have that fuck you moment. Yeah. And like, no, you're not going to tell me what I can do. I'm going to figure out what I can do and maybe what a gift this is for me instead of Mm -hmm. this shenanigans that, that you're like enough of you writing my story. I'm going to write my own story. Thank you very much. Thank you for keeping me alive. Like, please. And thank you. But also go fuck yourself a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. There's like something so huge and like landing in that no in your body. Like, wait, I actually have agency. I actually have autonomy. Mm -hmm. I actually have freedom. I get to make choices and there is power in that. And Mm -hmm. people don't get to take that from me. And yeah. And, and feeling like a, like a Guinea pig, you know, like, like for me, it was like, it it became about like my doctors, like, like the show for my doctor, like, like the fixed cat show. And And I kept thinking like the messaging is like, you are broken. Something is wrong with you. We need to fix you. Mm. And, and it would be like, you know, there are just like weird things that they, oh, I remember like waking up from surgery, like that feeling where you're just, (gasps) where you want to die, where you literally want to die. It's just so messed up, you know, to wake up out of surgery, you're in so much pain. You don't remember what happened. And it's just, it's such an intense thing for your nervous system, for your body, especially as a child. And I would like, like, I don't know why they don't just have your parent. In my case, they never just had my mom in the room. I would wake up like hysterical. Yeah. They're like trying to calm me down. I'm like, well, just go get my mother who's going Mm. to calm my nervous system down. Like, why don't you think of that? Or just like so many things. I remember I woke up from one surgery and I'm like, you're so groggy. And I wiggled my legs and I was like, what is between my legs? Like what is attached to my vulva? And there was a catheter in and they didn't tell me that they... And then they tell me that they do that every surgery and every surgery they put a, like a tube down my throat. And I was like, what the fuck? This was like surgery, like 14. Yeah. Oh. I <laughs> little too late guys. <laughs> so it's like, I, Oh, this is so fucking crazy for me right now. I'm looking at my vulva. <laughs> I, I woke up shaved. Oh my God. They did not tell me that. I mean, they told, Okay. So this is also one of the interesting things in talking about, this is totally not what we're going to talk about tonight, but apparently this is what we need to talk about tonight. Um, So I remember one of the really interesting things for me was most of my surgeries happened when I was young enough that I could like mentally block them out and just completely disassociate. And then I was in the medical system of like having to go back every three months for like the echoes, the EKGs, the like, here, let me feel all over your body without asking and bring, see, you talk about being a guinea pig and I was the person, we have a, we're in a teaching hospital here. And mm-hmm. so they would have the entire student faculty come in and have a turn to like, listen to my heart and do this and do that. And I always felt like I was on display and which is probably why eventually I got to the point where I was like, well, if I have to be on display, I'm going to make a show of it, friends. Yep. Which I'm like, oh my God, my entire life existence is now explained in this fucking podcast and moment right here. Uh, but I make it work for me now. So it's good. 
but I, yeah. I, I remember the really uncomfortable moment when I went back for my last surgery at 18. So the difference is typically you get booted out of the children's hospital at 16, I believe it is, but they kept me until I was 19 because they wanted to do my last surgery there because they were the people who had followed me for so long, had done all my surgeries up to that point. And so they were like, we want to keep you because we know you, you know us, you're comfortable with us. So it just makes the most sense, which I was grateful for. But it was so interesting because for the first time in my entire um, experience of being in the medical system, they were talking to me and I didn't know how to handle it because for years they weren't. And so suddenly it was a full day of sitting down and having the anesthesiologist come in, the surgeon come in, the, um, who else? There was like a nurse team that came in. There was like all of these different people that came in and talked directly to me to tell me all of the different ways that I was going to die. And I had to sign off because I was technically an adult. And I was like, I don't know how to be in this because nobody ever gave me the chance to be in this space of, of having ownership or responsibility or even involvement in conversations around my condition or my body. I remember it like it was so fucking weird. And then in waking up, so we had talked about like being, I, I was going to be put on bypass for my groin. Nobody was like, we going to shave you, honey. Never did that come up. So I, when I woke up like days later, I had this like big old scar and I was shaved from like the middle of my pubic bone over to the left side. And I was like, well, now I'm incredibly embarrassed because I'm like 18 years old and have I no, I think I probably shaved up to that point because I was like, whatever. But I had never like had someone dig around in my crotch mm-hmm. such a violation like I'd never and it wasn't even discussed or an option I was like I wish you I made a joke about it and I was like hey had you told me I could have cleaned up for you down there but like never was that an option for me mm-hmm. never yeah so fucked and it's like it, it actually blows my mind I can't imagine just like rooting around in somebody's like genitals while they're passed out. Like, I don't know why any context like that's appropriate or just like, and you know, I, I really, that, that I feel that so much. I, I feel like when now when I try to explain like what happened in surgeries and like what went wrong, like, why did we go from, you know, it being like a handful of surgeries to being 17 mm. and them stopping because I'm, I was, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm good on this. Like, no thanks anymore. And, and yeah, now I'm like, I don't even know, I could, I can't even recall any of it because I wasn't included in the conversation. Mm, Like I don't, I I have a very limited knowledge about what has happened to my body. Same. And then I have my mom's recollection, which is like, talk about, like, she was just in, you know, I can't imagine how challenging that would be, would have been for her have, you know, as being moms ourselves, like imagining our own children going through that is like, such a nightmare, right? Like I, yeah, I still like my heart breaks for her. And my, I have a twin brother who had three open heart surgeries. What up? By the time he was four, like, I feel so bad for my mom. I'm just oh like, God. so fucked. <laughs> I was like, he and I That's could fucked. swap some stories. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He had nine, nine holes in his heart. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Did he have like, did he have a name for what he had? 
I don't think so. No. Oh, no. And he wasn't supposed to live. Like he definitely wasn't supposed to live. Yeah. Neither was that. Yeah. You know, and they say these things and I'm not supposed to be able to walk, but here I am walking walking fucking having a time having a time for sure right that's like that it's so funny because I totally adopted that attitude for a while where I was like oh you say I can't do it well fuck you I'm gonna do it anyway like yeah. man Oh, it's such a driving force, right? Like that. I'm like, like I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Oh. Like I'm like, oh, I'm just going to, and now it's, now I am, I am softer with my body and I do not do those things to my body yeah. because before it was, it was such a performance to be like, I can, not only can I do what you can do, I can do more. Like, this is like, yeah. like, you know, like really trying to prove something to the yeah, world. This and, validation of like, oh, yeah. I'm not broken. Yes, I can watch. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like the roping in that like exhibitionism, exhibitionism and, and that performance, right? And like, yeah. I love to go to a, a like a, a sex club or a sex party or a kink party and just perform. It's just like, if I'm in the middle of the room and everybody's watching me, I am happy. And it's like, yeah, no wonder my whole childhood was like a room full of people. Same thing, teacher, teaching school, like a bunch of like, it's like 20 people walk in the room and they're like, let's see. I'm like, okay. <laughs> This is so funny because we've literally been talking about this on the show where Jeff, my husband, and I have been having all these conversations about like what it would look like if we opened a relationship, whether we want to, we want to go to a sing- swingers club or a sex club or whatever. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about watching people or um, going, but I definitely want people to watch us fuck. 100%. 100%. Like uh, that to me is like magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Haven't done it yet, but- You'll love it. Oh, I know I will. I know, like I know we just we so just got, we just got these fucking incredible pictures back from doing this intimate oh, portrait session. Oh my god, there's thank you. Yeah. But like uh, that for me was like baby steps on my way to fucking in front of strangers at some point because yeah. I'm I'm like oh, it just like ugh. like I don't have word I don't have words for it, but I know mm-hmm. that it would be unreal yeah oh it is it is yeah oh so much energy feeding into like your energy that you're creating together it's right I love it I find it really juicy and my partner doesn't really like it all that much but that's that's because we have very different backgrounds (laughs) and it's funny because my partner would probably feel the same he's like hardcore introvert he's like no I don't really he's game for the idea which is really interesting and it's been nice because he's at this place right now where he's he's mm-hmm. stepping more into his his divine masculine and he's starting to challenge things and he's in this space of like well what can I do and what how does this feel and willing to try things on which I'm fucking loving but it would probably not be the same experience for him at at all as it would be for me I would just revel in that shit mm-hmm. yeah and like we don't have to have like an erect penis. There's not, there isn't like this whole culture sitting on our shoulders that like your masculinity is like represented in those spaces by how hard your cock is. And so like we walk in, thought. you know, we're just like, you know, everybody's happy. We're there with our like feminine form and we could just lay there or anyways, oh, yeah. it's, there's just like a pressure that we don't experience that like, you know, people with penises would experience in those spaces especially as introverts, but either way, I still just, I, I drag them along anyway. I'm like, 
Oh, I just love that. So when did you make the decision to start reclaiming your pleasure? Like when did this begin for you? When I was like 16. Wow. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And very. And it's been leading to this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's so funny because these like small moments happen in our life where like, like we have no idea that that's like such a deciding factor for what our, our entire life is going to be. Mm. But for me, it was that moment where I was like, no, I'm going to start exploring pleasure. And like sometimes when you experience like really extreme pain, you can orgasm. And so my first orgasm was just like in the hospital, having like being in a lot of pain and it's just like a spontaneous orgasm. Wow. So random. Wild. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. That happened. I think I was like 14 or something. Wow. Did you tell anybody? I don't think so. How did you process that? Well, I, you know, I had a lot of sex at a really young age. So I was like, I, I started having sex when I was like 13. And so I was already like, I don't know. I don't think, I think how I processed it was I was like, oh, I want more of this. I want yeah. more good in my body. And then that, like the euphoria, like the, like it's such pain relief, right? It's such a like, um, it's fucking yes, intoxicating and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to start doing a lot more of that. And, and, and then kink getting into kink was just like such a, a beautiful place for me to heal so much medical trauma, like feeling so autonomous over my body and, and negotiating what's about to happen to my body, knowing what's going to happen and knowing that I get to get to call it full stop and being in control of the pain that's happening. Like I'm choosing this pain. It's not happening to me. And so a lot happened once I started exploring kink where it was just like blew my mind, like it didn't go in intentionally trying to heal anything, which just like occurred over and over and over again. This Mm. is so interesting because we've also had this conversation about like different kinks and modalities used for healing and how a lot of people probably don't go into it with that intention. No. Yet there's there's no way it's not happening. Yeah. So I love that you just brought that up because that's like validation for kind of what we've been thinking. And it's, I'm, yeah unintentional healing right and now I'm now I'm like evaluating all of my choices and interests and thoughts and it's making me like more excited about the things that I'm being drawn to and I'm like what is that going to uncover for me and how is that going to continue all of this wild healing that we've been experiencing yeah I had a really good conversation about this uh with a really good friend the other night we were talking about kinks and she's she's really big into the kink more so than I am. And we were talking about kind of more um, extreme role role play and the example being rape fantasy. So I think it's consensual, non-consensual sex. And we were talking about that and we were saying how in these type of scenarios, like I've had these fantasies before and I don't really know how it can at all help me heal, but I'm open to the idea. Not in this very moment am I open to exploring that, but I think that there is something there that I need to explore. And I said, and I feel like certain, some people who get into some kinks, there is unintentional healing there that they're not aware of. And I think the reason why talking about sex is so vital in so many forms is because everything, every experience that we have in our life, our body remembers, Mm. there's a body language there, body memory, there's body medicine. And that can come out, that healing can come out through sex. And a lot of 
incredible healing happens, I think, in the kink and BDSM communities. Um, I'm not really a part of that community, but I'm wondering, like, how prevalent is that conversation of what we're doing is helping me heal? What we're doing is helping me release a trauma? Or, yeah, like in your case, talking about how pain helped, experiencing pleasure and pain was helping you kind of work through those parts of your life. Like, this conversation, that type of conversation, I find extremely interesting and valuable on so many levels. Yeah. Well, what's happening is we're renegotiating the trauma. Right. 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 So it's like, this is, this is on my terms now. Yeah. And that's what the body needs. So the body will keep putting us in situations until we can renegotiate the trauma because the body's on our team. It wants to release that charge that got stuck in our body. So it wants us to have that opportunity. And so if we are aware of it, then we can choose to put ourselves in situations where our body and we can work together, collaborate and renegotiate the trauma in kink is like a total fucking playground for that. It is just like the, the thing about, about like kink is that in those communities, communication and negotiating is so huge. Whereas yeah. in like our sex world outside of that, like how most of us interact with sex is like, we just fall into it. It's like, we just have the sex mm-hmm. and then we don't really talk about it. We don't negotiate. We don't talk about our needs. We don't talk about how, how do we need to be cared for after that? Mm-hmm. You know, we aren't talking about like, you know, these very, in- sex is so intimate and having somebody, especially for people who have vaginas, like having somebody penetrate us, like that is inside of our body. Mm-hmm. We are not present to how powerful that is. Somebody is entering in our insides. You know? I, oh my God, what did I say to my husband the other day? Oh, what did I say to him? I think I said I want to devour your essence or something while we were fucking or like before we were fucking. It was like one of one of the weirdest things that I've ever said. But at the same time, I was like, that yeah. Yeah. That's it. The I get in here, honey, like mm-hmm. all the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's like, there is a, a serious meeting of the bodies when, mm. when that's occurring, right. In a way that doesn't just like being near each other. So yeah. I, I, I can't remember what I was going to say with that, where I was going, Oh, just like, no, no, <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think kink is a really powerful place for us to, oh, just like that we could, that those communities are often very big on communicating, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that's, that was a huge thing for me was actually realizing like, oh, I get to, well, one, I get to ask for anything I want, whatever freaky, nasty ass shit that I want, which is like, I am like on the extreme end of the spectrum of like what I like in kink. And so I'm like, you know, maybe that's too much to ask for, but it's not, it never is. You ask it and somebody will be happy to do it. Hmm. And like, that was also really powerful in terms of like, you know, just creating my entire life mm-hmm. that maybe that person, person is going to be a no to it, but somebody is going to be happy. I also had a chest. What's happening here? Bless you. Well, that wasn't a sneeze. That was a cough. But... Okay, anyway. God bless me. <laughs> yeah so I think like just getting that I like you know whatever weirdness there is in me whatever thing I think is going to be unacceptable or unlovable there is some other freaky person out there that is just gonna adore that about me and like it is totally gonna work 
And so I, that's another thing that the, the kink community offers. But yeah, it's, I don't, I don't think to answer your question, I don't think like that most people are aware of the healing that can yeah. occur. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's also a lot of people not really having complete access to their, their body when they're playing. Like lots of people disassociate while they're playing and they go numb. Like they don't really feel like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, kink is transformational when we start having a better understanding of the body and of trauma and the nervous system, because then we can see what's going on. Like, you know, when we're playing with like high sympathetic tones and we're, and we're like, you know, getting like shoot, getting those shots of energy in our body or, you know, in the aftercare when we're coming like hard down and we're, you know, we're, we're really like just letting our body sink into that. You know, there's a lot that's happening there and we're playing with it intentionally. So mm-hmm. we're pushing our window of tolerance. We're making it much bigger because we're taking a very intentional space and saying, I'm going to play with things that are edgy within a safe enough container mm-hmm. and there's excitement and I'm pushing an edge and that's where growth happens with those three things, right? Mm-hmm. When we feel safe enough, it's like safety is like not, you know, I don't ever think we really feel safe because we have to account for our inner world, which mm-hmm. really impacts whether we feel safe in a place or not, right? So, but like a safe enough space and excitement for the thing we're doing and something that feels edgy. And so that's kink, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, we're pushing edges mm-hmm. and so pushing intentionally. Sounds incredibly difficult. Right? Yeah, just sold me kink hard. I mean, I it's one of those things where I the more the more conversations that that my partner and I have been having, the more conversations that you and I have been having, Sarah, and that we've been having on the podcast, and the more kind of personal work and digging, the more that it's it's there are aspects of it that I'm like, oh yeah, there's something there. Like there's something. it interests me. And I mean, we've labeled me a trisexual where I'm like, oh, if I can try anything, almost anything once. Except for the hard nose. Except for the hard nose. <laughs> but I'll try almost anything once because I'm very much somebody that I need to know, to know if something is right for me, I have to feel it in my body. And that's when I'm like, get that solid, like, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. And so, yeah, this you, you may have just... Uh, Mm. sold me on uh yeah pushing the boundary of my comfort zone and and uh exploring the kink community but I guess a question would be um are there many um kink communities out there that are also having enlightened conversations around healing and how kink can be that kind of gateway for for individuals to process and, and move through healing and trauma? I think that there, that there are, I think every, every kink community is like very rich in diversity and, mm. and there are like, obviously I'm in a kink community, so I'm showing up having those conversations. So there's me. And yeah, there's, <laughs> I know. Right? There are people in your community probably quite similar to me. If you oh, go I'm look sure. in. Yeah. I just, I just haven't looked under enough rocks yet. Oh, that's right. And they're like all under rocks. Dark doors or yeah, that's right. red doors or fuck. Well, yeah. And yeah, there are, there are lots of people in my community that are definitely like really, really amazing. And then there are people who are just like there for different reasons. Right. So it's all mm-hmm. sorts of people, but 
um, yeah, I think we make it what we want. The great thing about those spaces and even like sex clubs is like, you can go and watch and you don't have to do anything. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no obligation. And like, that's a kink is just watching. And so that's great too. And it's just, it's important for those of us with any sort of trauma to know, like, what are my triggers likely to be? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, going into a kink event is quite, it can be quite extreme, right? There's like, there's, there's always somebody like me playing in there that might freak you out. It's <laughs> just saying. Freak me out or intrigue the shit out of me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Wanna... Depends who you are. Right? Yeah. As long as you don't show up in a gimp suit, Kat, then we're good. Gimp suits freak me the fuck out. That's oh. for hard now, if you were wondering. You scare the shit out of me. Yeah. I get that, actually. Yeah. 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 Can't do it. Can't, just can't do it. It's not for you. Not for me. It's not, not for you. Not for me. Yeah. No, no it's not the one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not the one. It's not, it's the, not one. the one. Not the one. Yeah. That's a song, like a country song by Shania Twain. Isn't like, it you're like... the one? <gasps> yes. Here except the opposite. What is it? You're, You're the one I love. Oh. Except I go. <laughs> You're not the one I love. Good night. I never kissed anyone in a gimsuit ever. No. Or no. Or no. fucking no. <laughs> what if I got you like a stuffed animal in a gimp suit? It would still freak me to fuck out. Okay. Like clowns freak out people. Gimp suit is along that same line. That's fair. I would like, never do that to you because I ooh. love and respect you. You would just yeah. think about it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry we made you think about it. It's all right. I'll get past it. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um this is super cool. This is super fun. fascinating. I was going to say, should we, sorry, were you going to ask something? If you have a thought, you go right ahead. Well, I was, yeah, that's where I was going to go. Is yeah. that where you were going to go? Yeah. <gasps> Look at us being on this arcade, bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I kind of sounded like Mickey Mouse there for a second. <laughs> Just Jeez. a little bit. Um, no, I'm like, did you? I'm like, what is this Mickey Mouse that? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, that was really. Funny. That was good. That sounded like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that did sound like Mickey Mouse. Yes, I have this weird thing. I could have been a voice voice actor. Could still. And I could, could still. Do, still I have, yeah. do I have time for that, though? Let's be real. It just could be a hobby, pastime. You record yourself doing impersonations and send it to different agents. And that could be the thing that makes you big, you know? Could uh, be. No, could this be is going to be the thing that makes you big. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I also agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna work that into this more. Yeah. Um, I'll do an entire episode of Stitch. It'll be great. Um, yeah. So I guess what we we're gonna say because originally we were gonna have you on the show. We were gonna talk all things like sex positive parenting, and then we mm-hmm. spent 50 minutes talking kink and trauma and relatable <laughs> conversation. And, like so good. So I'm so not good. mad about it at all. Um, but how? does not only I the question was how does your profession impact your parenting but not just your profession but how does your profession and then also we'll say sexual appetite affect your parenting or how does it play into your parenting such how do you navigate parenting mm-hmm. yeah it's so much so much a lot of <laughs> heavy loaded questions yeah. um one first was that I didn't, I was told that I couldn't have children. 
And so I was very resigned to the idea and was like, we're not having kids. And my partner didn't want anymore. He has a, an 11 year old daughter with somebody else. And we did, had no intention of having children. And then we went on our honeymoon and I got pregnant and we were like, whoa, I had no idea my body could do that. And then, so here we are two years later, three, three years later. Almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, it was very unexpected. And so for me, I, part of me wishes I had had time to like prepare for like what kind of parent I had wanted to be, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's totally fine because I, I'm, I'm nailing it. I feel like, uh, I probably, love I love that you just said that. Can more of us say that? Like, fuck yeah. Like, I got this. Yeah. And like, no matter how well I do, she's going to have a complaint and that's her job. It's her job to like, leave me, find out who she is and then come back. So I, I have said from the beginning, it is my job to fuck them up a little bit. Yeah. Give them a rich story, you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Not like too rich, but like rich enough that they have something to complain about. A little substance, a little substance Mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. You need something to complain about. Yeah. Grow from. Mm -hmm. Something edgy, you know? (laughs) Muddy your story just a smidge, just a tad. Yeah. My mom had this crazy fucking podcast, talked about her pussy all the time. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Walked yeah, around the house funny. with a giant fucking cock all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> have you, was, have you so seen Luna? Are you talking about? I haven't. Oh, seen yeah. It. So, oh, we actually have the 10 inch dick now. Oh. There were pictures of me wearing the 10 inch dick on stage at our last live show. <laughs> It's happened. The video is still coming at some point. Mm. Oh, there needs to be a video. Oh yeah. Are you pulling up a picture? Just need to get the rights to pony and we're good to go. (laughs) Oh my god. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. That will be when we make it big. Uh, I'm trying to find the fucking photo of your giant cock. My giant cock. Anyway. So those things. It's likely those things that they're that will be burned into my children's brains forever. And they'll be like, Jesus Christ, mom. Can you see that? Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) I love what I love is I keep looking at that. Not 10 inches. And then I look at (laughs) (laughs) I know my sizes. My (laughs) cock. Yeah, I've seen a lot of penises. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so a bit like parenting. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So things like this, she likely doesn't want to hear. But uh, anyway, so yes. Okay. What do I want to say about that? One is, I think, like more than anything, my medical history has informed my parenting around consent. And I am a very affectionate person. I love a lot of touch, and my daughter doesn't. She's almost two and she's like, eh. And she has like this very, she is so firm in her no. And I do not feel like I taught her that. She's like came into this world out of the womb, like very clear about her no. Probably because of all the workshops I ran while she was like inside me still. I do some pretty like intense exercises and it's all around like boundaries. And anyways, we do this, I do this exercise where I get people to like, it's like an active meditation where I get them to like scream no. Like, no, 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 no. Like it's pretty intense. And like she probably just like that into her. Yeah. Great, got it. No. But yeah, so I think that's been <laughs> that workshop. I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think like it's interesting to see the things that I didn't realize were gonna be challenging for me. And one is like 
not touching her and not like, I, like I'm so aware of how much I touch people in my life for me mm. when it looks like it's for them. Mm. Like a uh, hugging my partner and touching my partner. And it, you know, it looks like I'm offering touch to him, but that touches for me. And so it was really important for me to get clear on that with my daughter because a lot of my affection with her is for me. And very rarely, like, is she offering that? And, and so for me to like pull back a way that I want to receive love from her and just like take the way that she is giving me love has been like a really big act in like honoring her autonomy and agency as her own person. And just because she's this tiny, cute little thing that I made with my body does not give me access to her body. And so that's been like really powerful. And like, I want her to have like agency and freedom. I want her to land in her body and feel at home in her body in a way that it took me years to unravel my experiences to finally land back here and feel like, yeah, I feel safe here now. And I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that journey for her. I can't, I don't know if it will be, but I, you know, my hope is that that's not what's going to occur for her. And so I think for me, sex positive parenting is always bringing children, ultimately bringing them back to their bodies and remembering that, you know, our little beings are ultimately going to be adults. They're going to spend most of their life as adults and we are sexual beings. And so it's important that they have all the right information and they have all the facts and, um, that it's like, you know, and for me as like a sex educator or a sex coach, I have to be very clear what, what the boundaries are that I don't share too much information because it's like, this is what I talk about all day. It's what I do. Right. It's very easy for me to talk about it very openly, but there also needs to be a very strong container about when certain things are shared so that they feel safe with the information mm. so that it's not too big of a backpack for them. Yeah. Like learning about like your parents having sex in certain detail at too young of an age where you don't have a context for, for why people do things like that with their body would feel, I mean, a lot of us have, you know, I've walked in on our parents or found out that our parents had sex and we can, we can recall that feeling in our body, just like pure disgust and embarrassment, like want to throw up. Yeah. It's like too much information for their little bodies. Right. So, uh, you know, learning, like, like letting, allowing them to lead the conversations and lead things like potty training and getting dressed. And, you know, if she runs around the house for hours without a diaper on, cause she doesn't want to put it on and she poops on my floor who cares? Is it like that big of a deal? Mm. It's not worth me like forcing a diaper on her because like that's convenient for me. And so mm. like, I think sex positive parenting means like things can be more challenging because we're honoring that they're their own person. Mm. And like, would I do this to an adult? No. Like there are certain things that we do to our children that we would never ever interact with an adult that way. Like, mm. like treat them like they're not their own person. And then the other side of that is also we are the adults and we have more information and we have more understanding. Like it is cold outside. You need to wear boots. You can't walk in the snow barefoot. Yeah. Or maybe you could for a few seconds and try that on and see how that feels in your body. So it's like this constant balancing act of like, where do I give her enough room to explore for herself what feels good in her own body and what doesn't? And so she can make decisions for herself. Like snow on my bare feet is too cold. I'd like to put some socks on. Or you know, if my child is just going to like not pay attention and not listen to her body cues, then, then I have to step in and and I, I have to make the appropriate decision for her body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, this has been a really big, big one for, um, 
that we're navigating like with my four-year-old right now where she um she has a hard time landing in her body and she's very like head in the clouds all over the place just wanting to play like today she she pissed her pants today Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to stop playing and it's that like I I had the conversation I she'll be grabbing her vagina like she'll be grabbing at herself and I'm like do you like it looks like you have to pee do you have to pee why don't you go ahead and have a pee and then come back and play and she got distracted and moved on to something else and I reminded her again and and um she just didn't go and then eventually she got really upset because she's like mom I peed myself and I'm like okay my husband started to kind of go in on her heart because he had just come home from work and also we spent all day cleaning up dog shit mm-hmm. yeah was, fuck this was the day um and so I was like don't yell at her don't shame her it, like she can learn from this great this is just a reminder next time we have to pee or you feel like you need to go just go when you feel it the first time the play and stuff will be there for you when you're done peeing it's awesome but she it's been this like constant like with with eating meals and with um things like going to pee and and stuff like that like she just she she needs to breathe and come back to her body before she's actually like oh yeah no I actually have to take care of this physical thing and these these um requirements that I have and it's a really hard one to navigate because I'm like I can say it until I'm blue in the face but until I get you back into your little body you're not going to realize it for yourself and it's going to be this fight and battle which I don't I don't want to have so it's been very um but how do you get a little kid back into their body because this is something I deal with every single day with Henry like he the potty training thing sorry mom rant is a constant and it is some weeks are perfect and other weeks it is daily multiple times a day and I'm like I get to a point where I'm so calm and patient with him and then it's like I don't understand how to get you in your body and to to get you to be aware of the cues of your body like how do I teach you to do that I can't like it's that's your body like how do you make a child aware of that Again, I'm sorry, mom rant, but like, how old is he? He will be four in March. Yeah. And so like their play is often imagination, yeah, not body-based yeah. play. Yeah. And so that's like, yeah, that pulls us out, right? It's like our imagination yeah. is kind of like watching TV, right? We're not aware of our body cues. We know that for ourselves as well. We like, we zone right out. And so like, I don't know if this would actually work, but my, my suggestion would be to do body, like offer them some body-based play. And so do like somatic exercises to help them land in their body. So Mm -hmm. think of things that they often did when they were like a bit younger around tantrums, like stomping their feet and jumping up and down, like things that wake up the bones, wake up the body so that we remember, oh, we have legs. Oh, what else do we have? Like we can, then we can feel things functioning more Mm -hmm. for ourselves, right? Like how long will we ignore our cue to pee? except we can hold our bladders for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We'll do it until like we have pain. And it's funny because like we forget, like we'll feel like we need to pee and then we forget because mm-hmm. we get absorbed in what we're doing and then we get that cue again. And then sometimes we'll forget again. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like we're, we want them to spend time in their bodies, but we're not spending all that much time in our bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we can like ignore our cue to the same thing is happening. Theirs is just like manifesting as like them, like peeing themselves. And ours is like, 
we're just like ignoring the cues in our body until like our, you know, our bladders hurt and then we go to the washroom. Mm-hmm. So it's like very similar, right? So like even doing body-based things in our own body or exploring like, you know, how do you know when you have to pee? What does that feel like in your body? Mm. Here's what it feels like in like mama's body, mm-hmm. like things like that. Just start like talking about it. And yeah, like, like you said, like no shame when they, they pee themselves. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, no big deal. Whatever. Next time you'll get it. Yeah. Which is like when you're having a rough week, it's challenging. Cause you know, being mama's, oh. you know, it's, it's a job. It, it's something, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I, one thing that I've been doing a lot more with my second, which I'm loving because she's she's such a good nonverbal communicator, like, and she has been since like three months old, like just fuck, really great, mm-hmm. is the consent thing has been like up-leveled so much more. Like I'm, I'm asking her, do you need your diaper changed? Did you have a poo? Do you want to walk? Can you come and walk onto the bed instead of just picking her up? Or I'm going to pick you up now. And it's like waiting for that initiation of like, oh, okay. Whether it's like looking me in the eyes or giving me a nod or saying, yeah. And it's, it's been so good in, um, not only like shifting the way that I'm sometimes interacting with my four-year-old, but it's also shifting, um, I just totally lost my fucking train of thought. Shifting how Alexis? No, not necessarily. She's not always picking up on everything. Because uh, right now we're, we're, I mean, consent is a big conversation with her for sure. Um, and body safety, like making sure that she always feels safe in her body and how to, how to say no if she's not feeling safe or who to talk to. And, what about and that dynamic like that. between Alexis and Fallon? Um, oh God, that's. Like, does garbage. Alexis have an idea of her bodily autonomy? <laughs> That's garbage. Yeah, like, she, she, she's very good at saying no to her sister. Her sister is garbage at listening. Because <laughs> well, oh, her sister yeah. is 16 months old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Fallon is very, like, a very strong-willed child. Like, when she's got her mind set on something, like, she just is, it's going to fucking happen. Mm-hmm. But it's been really good for me to slow down and like work in consent a lot more and thinking of different ways of like how how can I lead with consent as my number one priority in everything that I'm doing mm-hmm. and then demo demonstrating that um for our our eldest for our four-year-old too so with how we're interacting and using that as example a lot of the time so um like Alexis again where she does get like so in her head all the time um sometimes she's not very good at respecting our boundaries um and our bodies and it's like that hugging us when we're like no like I don't I will I have no problem being like I don't feel like a hug right now like I can't do this right now or I like give me maybe 10 minutes and we'll talk about it uh and sometimes that's not always respected or not not taking the second to ask before touching somebody or hanging off me and I'm like just remember remember it's really important to just ask first before we touch somebody uh just like mommy asks before I touch you or I tickle you or I do this and just like I listen and as soon as you say no even if you're joking I always check in and like using those um 
just trying to lead by example, right? And like yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, and I think the other, oh, it sounds like you're doing amazing for one. Oh, it's really you. great. Som- sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Well, sometimes is great. Sometimes is great, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's really important to celebrate that. It's not realistic for it to be all the time. That's not attainable. Sometimes is a huge gift. And then, and then talking about it when we have it, like when I've dropped exactly. it all, like that's, yeah. that's one area that I think that um, we really excel in, in our house right now. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I learned <coughs> because they weren't doing it. So it was one well, of those, yeah. Right. Like if I, if, if you had taken the two seconds to come and talk to me or apologize for something then I would feel so much different about, about it after the fact. Yeah. So that's always been a priority where it's like, if I drop the, I love that. He was like a stripping. If anybody would like to know. <laughs> he's just tearing her clothes off over here. Tearing them off. Where's the Adidas tear away? Oh yeah. Those would be fun now. I didn't know what, what we um, had then. But really making it a priority of like, if, if we fall short or if something doesn't happen the way that we wanted it to, or if I did have a meltdown and reacted poorly or shamed her mm-hmm. and she did pee her pants, which again, like it happens maybe once every six months at this point, but really coming and sitting down and saying like, listen, it's not okay that I yelled. It's not okay that I did, touched you when, when you didn't want me to, or this mm-hmm. or that or the other thing. I'm really sorry. I'm going to work on it. And like, how are you feeling? Right. Yeah. Which is something like a lot of our generation of children are going to have that we did not have. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, we are going to fuck up, but when we're able to like apologize, like you're saying, and, and be accountable to that, that's huge. Oh yeah. And, and that's just like, I hear that from so many parents now that, that we have access to that to be like, yeah, I, I messed up. Because our parents grew up in a generation where like if the adults are right, children are like there to be like seen, not heard, this sort of thing. Like like children are not people. Mm-hmm. It's like that's how children are, have generally been taught taught or treated in our culture. Wait one second. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think the other layer of modeling consent is like how does consent show up in our adult relationships? Yeah. So what, what are our children seeing? How are our children seeing their parents interact? So if I'm teaching consent to my daughter and I'm always, you know, checking in with her body and her nonverbal and verbal cues and having those conversations that you're talking about, but then like, you know, my partner just like comes up and grabs me in the kitchen when I'm in the middle of something. And then now she's seeing like, okay, you're teaching me this, but it's not being modeled in like, the relationship that's teaching me about the truth of the world. Like they look at us and they say, that is the world. And so if we're not actually modeling consent to ourselves, it doesn't mean we always have to ask to be touching our partners. Yeah, no. It's but and sometimes and there's lots of nonverbal communication, right? Mm-hmm. But to to start seeing that modeled and start unpacking that in our own relationships, like how often are we being touched or touching our partners in in ways that are that aren't invited, that aren't welcomed. And we're just doing it because like touch is, you know, it's, it's like so habitual. Like, you know, we do this melding with, with our partners where it's just like, they're an extension of us now. And, and we just have access to their bodies whenever we want them. And that's not always true. Right. Like I can think of many times where I'm like, I'm in my own head, I'm not in my body. And then my body's being touched and I'm like, fuck. Right. And it's like, if I had had a moment where I was checked in with, I would have likely been very open in a very big yes to that affection. But because it like happened to me, 
my primal body came online saying, nope, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. And so now I have to come down from that like sympathetic charge to land into like that, that ventral connection with my partner or whoever it is that's touching me. So it's not really about like the story because there's a story that gets created after that. Like, oh, what does it mean that I don't want that touch or that they touch me like that? But really it's just like, this is how the body responds to quick movement that wasn't expected. Mm. And so for our children to be able to see that as well. And I think like some of the, this is like a whole, like a sort of a different, different topic, but oh my God, I got to show you this book. Have you heard of this book? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not recommending it. So oh, it's <laughs> You're like, are you recommending? I wouldn't say it's garbage. I feel like, you know, you, okay. So the book I'm talking about is amazing. Amazing. You it's a book for like, like toddlers, preschoolers. And I feel like it's like a good try. But like, there are lots of things that I, I like away, the blue and the green, the pink, right? <laughs> yeah. And the girl's nipples covered and the boys not. Oh, that's stupid. Boo. So I ended up, my partner's like, you should show this, show the book when you're on there because it's hilarious. It's a funny book in our house with my, like, you know, my, my preteen because I, I like markered out half of the writing and put in my own, own words. I'm like, now it's a good book. Love I'm that. sorry to whoever wrote this, but it's like it needed to happen. So it's just like. It just got a, an upgrade. It's it was just an, up, an upgrade. Okay. So here's an example. Okay. Well, one thing is like, do you have a funny name for your uh, private parts? So oh, a couple of things for that is like, don't like, let's not encourage funny names. Yeah, let's no. just like not even bring that into the mix for mm-hmm. one. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. And second. I don't like calling them private parts. I don't either. They're not private. Mm-hmm. My whole body is private. Yeah. So it's okay for somebody to come up and touch my back or my arms, but it's not for them to touch my vulva or my breasts. No, it's just not okay to touch people without their consent at all. Mm-hmm. And so like that teaches people also, what is the weight that comes with the word private in our culture? Yeah. Shame. Mm-hmm. And, and, and. I'm just going to be honest, sex isn't private for me. The way that I use my genitals most of the time, not private. Public. And at the very least, somebody else is usually involved, my partner, and that's not private. Mm. And so I work with a lot of people who really struggle to feel good in their bodies when they're with people. They totally have access to orgasm on their own. But as soon as like even like a trusted partner is in the space, all of a sudden these complications arise. And of course they did because we were told to not touch ourselves in front of people, Mm. to not feel good in our bodies in front of people. And that to me is just like one that drives me nuts because we we sexualize children. We sexualize their touch. They don't have a context for sexualization. Like they're not, is that the word? (laughs) But they, they're not like thinking like, oh, my touch is sexual. They have no context for what that is. They're self-soothing. They're self-regulating. We want to encourage self-soothing and self-regulating. So the conversation isn't like, that's private and we should do that in private. The conversation is, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not consenting. That has wow. nothing to do with you. That's based on all of my beliefs and all of my learnings. I'm not, I'm not quite comfortable in the space. Do you mind doing that in a different room? Not a private room, but just like a room that I'm not in. So less to do with like, you know, this is something you have to do. And like, this is a part of you you have to hide away. Like you're touching your body. It feels good. You're enjoying yourself. The thing is too, is like, usually it's like so subconscious. Like they're just oh my God. themselves. Anytime, that anytime, was, yeah. anytime there's no underwear on hand is like up in her place all the time. And why, like, why wouldn't it be? Ra- minus like, two. This is what's yeah. going. 
literally the same. Yeah. So rich in nerve endings. It's such an, it's such a comforting place. Like it feels good. Mm. We should be able to feel good in our bodies. That should be encouraged. And so like our approach to sex education now is all like, like about the risk. It's all about like, what are the bad things that can happen? It's not focused on pleasure, Mm. but like most of us are having sex because we want to feel good and we want to feel connected. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we talking about sex in that way? So I think like it talks, it starts at such a young age and it's, and wording is so important. And by the time our kids are older, they're going to have, they're going to be talking about us on this podcast being like, I can't believe they called it a middle part or that they, you know, like they're, and that's great. That is, that is our hope as parents that they, you know, surpass our wisdom. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I hope like in, in fucking 20 years, they're calling me out on all the stupid shit I fucked up. me. I'm yeah. like, please, like, come, <laughs> come on the show. Tell <laughs> <laughs> me, full circle yeah. here, how badly I fucked you up. And yeah, how we can, uh, how you, how you repaired that for yourself. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I. Oh man, I had a right now both of the kids are getting into all of my stuff my altar is a mess my altar is a goddamn mess right now because both of the kids have been getting into it and like just just disrespecting all my all my stuff and and I was like cool I was cool with it I was cool with it until I found my jade egg and my crystal wand taken out of their bags and put somewhere onto the floor and I was like oh and I had to sit down with, with Alexis and I was like, listen, like, I understand you think my stuff is really cool and really nice. I've gotten you crystals of your own. This is mommy's special place. And I was, I think I was crying at one point because I was just like, oh my God, not these. Um, and I was like, the one, th- I was like, the reason that mommy's so upset right now is because you took these special things out of the bag and like mommy uses these like they go they're in me like I I don't want them on the floor and I don't I keep them in the bag for a reason please and then she was like what do you mean they go inside of you can I have some when do I get some and that was like a big conversation um where I was like babe if you're still interested and you want to I was like when you're when your moon blood comes you tell me and I we will go shopping like, if you're still interested, I feel like you might not want to go sex toy shopping with your mother at, like, fucking 11 or whatever it is these days. But if you still want to, yeah. I, will, I will be there for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, man. It's so oh. interesting navigating those conversations because they have no context for no, it, right? It's like, just like... <laughs> no context, but I'm like, oh, don't put that on the floor. Don't take it out of the bag. Yeah. Have you thought about how you're going to have those conversations with your children about self-pleasure or like, are you, are you going to buy them a toy or, you know, whatever? Like, have you thought about that? Yeah, I do think about that. So my, my approach is everything is, is led by them. And so we only talk about things that they bring up. And, um, I mean, I have lots of uh, these sorts of conversations with my stepdaughter because she's, yeah, she's curious and, and what's really fascinating is when we let them lead with their own curiosity and we don't interject like our information, we just answer their questions and answer them with like, here, here, like, here's the facts, here's the information. And then of course, it's very important for us to share our own experience so they can relate to us. But really it's like, 
It's about them finding and exploring their questions. Because when I talk to my stepdaughter, the things that she comes up with, it just blows my mind. Like where we end up going with the conversation is like, I would have, I never, I would have never thought to go there. I've never even thought about those things myself. And so it's really fun. And it becomes like, not like a, you know, a sex talk, but more just like an ongoing conversation that we just, we just talk about these things in our space and it's safe for us to have those conversations. And so I think like, if they ever asked me to take them, I would take them, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even really offer it. The idea is just that they feel safe enough with me to know that they, they can ask those questions. So if they feel that, you know, like my daughter feels like mom is always somebody that I feel safe to ask questions to, then, then the rest is, is all up to her. Mm. So instead of me like saying, you know, it, you know, I'll take you or something like that, or things like that, like, like coming from my own place, like as an example, like your example was, you know, she's like, can I have one? It's like, okay, well, there's like a good opportunity to say, if you're still interested, talk to me then. And just like leaving it. Right. And then she'll, she'll never really remember it, but, <laughs> but, but your like your, your love and, and like openness in that lives in her body. Right. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you're safe to have those conversations. Right. With. And that's, that's like the goal. That's always, that's the goal. Like that's my number one goal, goal yeah. is like, I just want both of my kids to feel like they can have they can ask me anything number one Mm -hmm. they can ask me anything and it'll be met with information and not judgment and and like yeah that it's a safe space and also like to have those people in my corner where I recognize that they may not always want to talk to me about everything but I have those people that I can be like okay well auntie Sarah or like a few other people that are in my life where I'm like well you can these people these are your safe people that have um similar viewpoints on these topics and I feel safe with you feeling safe to have these conversations with right yeah, I I think that that is very important for every parent to have a system of people that they will say like here are like a handful of people that you can go to because mm-hmm. it's like it's important for our kids development at some point to like reject us, you know? Like that's so important for them and there's going to come a time where like our children don't want to come to us for those things because it's just like they're figuring out who they are and to figure yeah. out who they are they have to not be attached to us in that way. and also point figure out everything that they didn't like about us so that they can figure out who they are in the world and so that comes the stage where like they're just miserable to be around and we just have to like tolerate it until it's over and then they can come no none of us are (laughs) yeah exactly we remember what we were like oh it was horrible oh my but if you had had a soft landing imagine how things would have been different this is like this Mm. is this is my hope and and like that's what I use to inform my choices and how I'm like flailing my way through this whole parenting thing where it's like well what what would have made a difference or what would have felt safer for me and how would that have impacted my experience Mm -hmm. right I know it's not going to remove like the fucking rage and shenanigans and life that is like preteen to teen years but Mm. it's my hope that it won't be a miserable fucking mess. Probably still. Will. Yeah, it, it will be. And, and I mean, but I mean, like, I it will I mean, be softened. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For like their, yeah. for their existence, like for, for their yeah. experience. 
um, it's not safe for us to have have people to have, to have the people who are supposed to be the grounding rod in our life fight us back. Like, like to have that dynamic where, you know, we're teens and, you know, we're hormonal. There's so much going on in our bodies that we, one, people aren't teaching us about, like, you know, like as young girls, like getting our first menstruation and the, all of a sudden now we're thrown into this and we're initiated into this. Well, we're not really initiated in our culture, although some of us are doing that for our daughters, but my girls will be. Yeah. And I did a, I, I did a celebration for my stepdaughter and it's just like, yeah, there's something very missing from our culture mm, and absolutely. something that, that cultures have always had big initiations for very big stages in our life. Yeah. I was and also initiation into like menopause later. Down yes, like absolutely. That I'm like, damn right. We're doing something for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every big life transition should have some sort of initiation because you are a changed person. You are never yeah. who you were. Right. And so for yeah, for our daughters, like transitioning into, or just our children in general, having these big shifts in their body. Like if we can just stay, stay like, um, like that grounding rod, like, like they can always count on us mm-hmm. and our response is, is never as big as theirs is right. Yeah. Like, like if they can have this neutral base where it's just like, yeah, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Clear boundaries. Like you are, you know, you, you do not, you are Stop not allowed to speak. Yeah. You can't speak to me that way. And <laughs> And I'm here for when you want to come and talk to me in a respectful way, but not like, like for me, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of anger. Oh, yeah. there was a lot of fighting. And when I became a teen and I was going, I mean, obviously I was going through a lot on top of, yeah. you know, what a normal teen is also going through, mm-hmm. but to have my mom, you know, play in that battle with me was like, that's really, I felt so destabilized and so unsafe. Mm-hmm. And what I needed was, was her to not react to that, like, that like robustness that was like coming out of me to just yeah. like so it didn't have anywhere to go it was just like oh just like move through her instead of like mm-hmm. it be you know fuel right but I mean no they didn't their parents didn't learn that they didn't they didn't know mm-hmm. that they're you know their own trauma bodies walking around mm-hmm. but we know better so we will just we'll do better it's a hope it's so hard it's, I'm such a reactionary person like it's oh man my my nature is just to like react before thinking a lot of the time. So that's been something that I've actively been like, Oof, breathe first, <laughs> breathe first, mm-hmm. then move from that. Doesn't always happen. Yeah. Doesn't always happen. But when it does, so much better. Yeah, so much better. Because <laughs> sometimes it feels, it's it's funny. I, um, I've joked in the past where I'm like, sometimes it feels like having a toddler is like training wheels for like the teen years down the road. Cause there's just like, like they just so much emotion, so much, just so mm-hmm. much. And like, Oh yeah. Oh man. Yep. That's yeah. A lot. yeah. Yeah. I remember reading one thing a few months ago. It was something I'm trying to remember it now, but I think it was, um instead of reaction proaction so like you just said instead mm-hmm. of react breathe ground yourself and you know like go through the processes and then mm-hmm. say what you need to say which is not always <laughs> easy oh, to do no. especially if i'm like if i'm somewhere in my cycle like if i'm autumn 
Thank you. Oh, Autumn. Yeah. That's where I, I am right oh, now. Fuck. I'm, uh, don't fuck with me. I am day 27. It's a mess. <laughs> I will fuck up your shit if you look yeah. at me. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just not it's cute. It's edgy. It's sharp, right? It's Very, such a sharp time of our cycle. Or I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to cry at you. Like, you look at me and I'm just going to start sobbing. Like, it's, it's yeah. either fire or just, oh, God. And... Yeah. What's interesting though is like I, it, that's also like coming into some of the apology conversations that we're having, where it's like, listen, this is what's going on right now yeah. um, in my body. I'm experiencing. Like, I'm I swear I am, and I'm so sorry that this came out at you. You didn't yeah. do anything wrong. I love you, even mm-hmm. drives me crazy. We actually, it's the other day. The oh my god, the other day, Alexis was like, "Mommy, I love you." even when you're mad. <laughs> so it's working. Fucking <laughs> That's so yes. great. Yeah. Yes. It's landing. That's so right. great. Yeah. Little moments where they like echo something back and you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a beautiful echo back. For sure. But then the other day she was also like, so I can't say fuck at school, but I can't at home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you can yeah, you <laughs> so can. funny I, really, I was like yeah you can but I really hope you didn't learn that by saying it at school <laughs> oh so funny yeah, I think like part of my parenting journey is like trying to like figure out where can I undomesticate my child mm-hmm. without it having like severe consequences for her out yeah. in the social world right. because you know I am not teaching her to follow the rules and I do not follow the rules and and she may end up being a rule follower and I'm like, oh fuck. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna be so uncomfortable with that. <laughs> it's like that's just like I'm like, no, don't, don't do it. I'm like, damn it, she might. Like, there's my agenda coming in, like right. I'm like, I don't want you to be a rule follower. I want you to be strong. And I'm like, whoa, it's interesting to like catch the agenda for our for our kids. But yeah, I think like part of like allowing them to have access to what language they want to use is part of um, it's like a process of reclaiming. Right. And it's, right. it's where we get to like de- undomesticate ourselves in certain ways and say like, you know, I'm going to choose for myself. Right. Because the whole world is going to try and keep them in that box. But if they know, you know, it's our safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately like you are their, their foundation for, for how they'll show up in the world. Right. So if they have permission there, then they'll feel that permission exactly. outside. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, it's not fair. If I walk around the house saying, fuck, all of them, this is my favorite yeah. word. I'm like, I can't be like, that's fucking ridiculous. And then get angry at you. If you say the same thing, Henry yeah. says Jesus Christ a lot. Like <laughs> when he can't declare, like, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm like, Oh my God, you're my son. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have the conversation of like, uh, what was it? What was that? What's our ongoing? Not at nannies, not at Grammys, <laughs> oh, yeah. and not at school. So we encourage mm. that. We yeah. want Henry to push the boundaries with his grandparents. Like, but that, but it, <laughs> take the Lord's name in vain. Do it. <laughs> I feel you. <ya. laughs> I also, but but I'm like, we want other people to feel safe, especially in their space. True. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so I'm like, add the consent. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Not, not your body. Not your home. And if that's not what they're comfortable with, then we need to respect that or we can leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I think respect, respect is so long as it doesn't impact our own like agency autonomy. Like it's right. a, it's a choice, right? Like I'm choosing to not use that language because I see that it makes them uncomfortable instead of mm-hmm. I don't use that language because 
I need to like fall in line with those things. Like, you know, I'm, I'm molding myself to be like, ah, here's my like tiny box that I have to show up in. But like, this is freedom for me to choose to not use that language in these spaces because I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I also love to make people feel uncomfortable though. I also, I also do. I also have that. Yeah. Um, but I've, I have recognized through, um, working on repairing relationships with my mother that it benefits me not just her but me more to not ruffle the fucking feathers if I don't have to ruffle the feathers I'm like I can give you this this is this is your home this is your space and this is a way that we can have a a harmonious relationship um even if I don't get to share all of myself with you but that's your loss more than it is my loss yeah um and if I want to curse like a fucking sailor, I can walk out your door. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy. I just like pushing the boundaries sometimes. Like if I'm having, my mom is pretty progressive, but sometimes we come into conversations where I find out that she's a lot more conservative than I previously thought. And so I like to push her boundary just a little bit, just like little nudge, just like a tick, tick, like, okay, do you really, really, are you sure about that? You know, like, is that where you want to go with it? Um, but I too like like to make people feel uncomfortable from time to time. And but then I always come back and I'm like, but let's talk about it. Like, come here. Like, I'll give you a hug. Like, it's okay. Like, I know I made you feel uncomfortable, but come, come to Mama. Like, I held you over the coals, but come here, babe. I don't know why I do that, but yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I feel like we could talk to you for a thousand years. I also feel like you need to come to Halifax and come yeah. to us. I would love that. <laughs> Do oh it. Like that would super be adorable with you. Delightful. It would be fucking delightful. Yeah. I uh, I'll scope out the sex scene first and then you Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like or we can just go together. <gasps> Yes. yes, I'll be your guide. <laughs> or we can do a retreat together. I, which oh, speaking of, speaking of, here's your moment. Yes. You have here's a very a exciting moment. retreat coming up, very, which I was also nice, reading yeah. about, and I was like, oh, we should. It's funny because I was reading, I was like, we should collaborate on some shit. So I love yeah. that you just said that too. Yeah. Anyway, what what magic do you have coming up? It's in Greece, yes. Yeah, it's in Greece. Yeah, it's in Greece, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. Who doesn't want to go to Greece? Yeah. (laughs) The work, the retreat is, it's uh, six days long. It's in, it's off of a cliff in Greece overlooking the sea. It's stunning. It's unreal. It's this beautiful like villa. It's, yeah, it's so special. And all the, there's a chef on site. It's just like completely, like deeply cared for. Like is the, the real theme of the workshop. And so I run a lot of, Actually, I just like I'm just starting. I think my 14th uh, round of this six-week course that I run locally here in Guelph, Ontario, which is rewilding the feminine, mm. and it is it has been like it has just like changed me at my core to just be in community in that way and and witness people's stories in that way, like their body stories and also their like told stories and. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's not what I, I, I had no idea what I was creating when I started it. And I had no idea what it was going to become. This is really, really magical space. And there's just something really powerful that happens when we join in community. And um, yeah, there's just like so much of our, this is a whole different topic, but there's so much of our culture that keeps us separate and keeps us isolated. And, and there is so much disempowerment in that. And, and it's, there is, there is a lot of 
healing that occurs when we land in a space together. And so the retreat is one, you know, I run these long form workshops and then, you know, I have the, the workshop night and then people go home and then they're like the onslaught of their busy lives just takes over and their to-do lists. And, and all of a sudden this, you know, devotion that they've made to themselves to have a better understanding and land more fully in their, in their bodies. Now all of a sudden they don't, they don't, you know, it's just gone down to the bottom of the list. So the idea of the retreat is that, you know, we have like this week together to actually sink into our bodies where you are not taking care of anybody. I'm taking care of you. Like you're not, you don't have to cook. You don't have to clean up after anybody. You don't have to do any of the things. And so the idea of the workshop is to explore how we start to like rewild and non-domesticate the feminine. And so it's somatically based. So we do a lot of body work, um, like body, body-based exercises to explore um, boundaries and explore story. And um, yeah, I feel like, where am I going with that? <laughs> Anyways, it's going to be an amazing retreat. Come to Greece. The retreat's for uh, folks who identify as women. And it's uh, it's only fourteen people, so it's small. It's, a, mm, it's in like May, right? Number. Yeah, it's May twenty twenty, uh, May twenty seventh to June. Is it May twenty eighth to June third second? Something like that. The website is. Re- <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I just I'm laughing because that's like how many times have I fucking said something so similar? I'm like, it's this date to this date. I think our live Maybe. show we fuck up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What do you mean? The live show, whenever we're promoting it, like when we're talking about it, I'm always like, wait, what day is it? 25th? Oh, wait, no. Okay. Seven? Is it 7.30? I don't know. Ah. <laughs> there's like so much rattling around in your oh brain. as like God. a mom and an entrepreneur. Like there's know, just like, like, did you feed the animals? Did you feed the kids? Yeah. Did you touch your pussy? Are you feeling okay in your body? <laughs> people you're wearing a 10 inch dick. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, so it's somewhere around those dates. It's May 2020. The website's rewildingthefeminineretreats.com. Oh, um, amazing. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty, yeah, pretty I'm pumped. Pretty this excited. was the I thing that I've been wanting to do for years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Greece is perfect. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of tempted now. As soon as oh you God. said oh villa on the cliff, I was like, ooh, I can see myself there already. Right? Like, right? Oh, yeah. And like the smell of the sea coming in the windows and there's these big lavender gardens that surround the whole house. And it's just like, it's so, so stunning. Like we work so hard, you know, like, it's like especially as like people ra- raised and socialized as women, we were just like really put into that caretaker role. And, and very rarely are we ever like truly, truly fully cared for ourselves. And, mm. and, you know, our nervous system loves, you know, to be able to sink in and slow down. Mm. And, and I just, yeah, that's what I, I really just want to create a space where we can move slow and build our capacity for pleasure. And yeah. Plus we're going to have amazing swag bags. Uber Loop's already on board. Oh. I know. I also I personally love to be spoiled so my intent is to spoil the the women coming I love that oh my god you're like designing something and I desperately am like oh I want that yeah right I want that yeah 
Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Amazing conversation. The Thanks. first like <laughs> five minutes were not at all what thank we you. prepared to talk about. <laughs> That's okay. That, that was, was great. That shit fucking blew my mind. That was, that was like great. wild flashback. Yeah, I have some things to process after this conversation. I'm gonna go home and be like, holy fuck. I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm starting my period tomorrow. So I'm going into my period oh, with yeah. like this depth now. So, oh, so yeah. like today I was thinking, I was like, what am I bringing into my period? Like, what am I gonna meditate about? And I'm like, oh, bring a cat into your period. <laughs> I know now. Cat's just gonna be my meditation being like, which gives it. <laughs> fucking great that's fucking great I'll, I'll keep you informed yes oh, yes please God. do thank you so much for thank you for having me on for chatting yeah. this was awesome blowing our minds and come to halifax seriously wow. i want to do it oh. i just might please don't tease awesome that was so great thank you i'm like wow we just <laughs> we could have talked like for more hours that's yeah Thank you so, so much for tuning in to this week's episode. If you're not already following us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Momgasm Podcast. If you're one of our loyal, loving, luscious listeners and you want a little bit more of what we've got to offer, find us on Patreon. Here we give out bloopers, snail mail, some merch, and so much fucking more. You can just head to the link in our description. If you have a question for us, like for our next Q&A episode, we would love to hear from you. You can email us anything you want about any topic at momgasmpodcast at gmail.com. And please do not forget to like, subscribe, review, and share our episodes. We appreciate it so much and it helps get the good word out. And that's it. That's all we got for you. Catch you next week. Mwah.